This week's Four Questions Journalist Spotlight is brought to you by Lefts Atlanta Media, Atlanta's best journalist database. Subscribe at leftsatlantamedia.com. Welcome to another edition of our Four Questions Journalist Spotlight. We are here with, with Rodney Ho, who is a reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and uh, I want to make sure I don't leave anything out, but Rodney covers radio and television. Is that, is that a broad... Uh, yeah, I cover comedy, yeah, entertainment, and kind of a, you know, as we've gotten fewer and fewer people at the AJC, it kind of leaves me with more territory to play with. Right, right. Well, let's start with this. So give me a little bit of a background of kind of your, your journalism career before you got to the AJC. So where, where you started and, and how you... Where it, was you, how a you pre, it was the prehistoric era, pre-internet, <laughs> um, you know, school newspapers... In high school and in college, I was managing editor. I got internships at the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I got a, my first gig covering education at the Virginian Pilot in Norfolk, Virginia, back in 1991, back in the day when all I had to do was write stories on an ATEX machine. I didn't have to worry about, any, you know, they have photographers taking pictures for me, other people writing headlines, all that stuff. And it was a simpler time. And I think during that time, I got my first glimpse of the Internet, and the AJC came a call in in 1994 when I was 24 years old. And uh, I got to cover the exciting world of banking and finance. Because I was a business, I was an economics report um, major. And I, I knew strategically at the time a good path to bigger newspapers was to take the path that a lot of journalists don't take. A lot of journalists are English majors. They couldn't. They can barely add or subtract, and I was fortunately <laughs> good at math. So I was like, okay, I like business. I care about business. I interned at the Wall Street Journal, so I got credentials. So I, I managed to wedge my way into the AJC business department back in the day when it had 20 reporters. Oh, those were the days. Ah, uh, the days. The and days. I got there, and, and right around the time of the Olympics, you know, and right before the Olympics, I got they, – they needed somebody to cover Scott Thurston. Do you remember him? Yeah, I did. Uh, he covered – airlines and uh, they needed somebody to cover transportation temporarily and they gave it to me you know i was 25 and i was like oh okay that's a big beat and uh, i got to enjoy that uh but then the wall street journal came calling as i was turning 26 and it's like I, I really wanted to work for wall street journal full time it's like hey i'm out uh, the hsc was nice enough to allow me to stick around uh for the olympics so i got to uh cover marta yeah my sexy beat at the time was marta in the airport that was my very small wedge. I, I didn't get to cover any of the sports. Uh, and, of course, I was there in part. I remember there were talks about, you know, if there's a bomb and, on Marta, you'll be, the, you'll be the point man. I was like, okay, you know where the bomb went. So yeah, I was yeah. not the point man. Um, yeah, but, but it's hard to say no to, on the Wall Street Journal calls, right? Oh, heck no. no yeah, I had to say yes. Um, and how long were you there at the Journal? Five years. I, I went up to New York. Uh, brought my wife with me. Uh, she's, she was an Atlanta girl, and she was homesick. And by luck or pluck, I had a new boss. Like one year in, I had another boss who happened to be based in Atlanta, um, Kevin Sauer. You might remember him. He, he, uh, he was the Wall Street Journal. He was a bureau. You know, he, he was in the bureau there for many years. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, he wrote that. You know, he used to wrote a book about Richard Jewell, um, and uh, and the whole bombing stuff, coincidentally. Um, and he, he was based in Atlanta. I was like, oh, I can, you know, can I cover small business? Can I move back down to Atlanta? And, and of course, back in the day, I said, sure, we'll spend another $10,000 and move you back down to Atlanta again after one year because <laughs> they paid for my move up there. This, this, 
it was back in the day when, you know, you have money, will travel. And the Wall Street Journal was a big paper. So they brought me back down to Atlanta. I worked, you know, I worked, I covered small business. I was in the Atlanta Bureau, if you remember where that was. It was in the SunTrust Plaza building on the 42nd floor. Beautiful view. It was a huge office. They had, you know, the Southeast edition of the Wall Street Journal, and they had a whole staff of regular reporters, and then they had a small business group. So we were, there were like 25 of us there, just on the, uh, you know, and I don't know how many Wall Street Journal reporters are left in Atlanta now. Probably three, maybe. What, two? two? Two or three, I think two. Yeah. yeah. So those were the days in the late 90s. Dot-com boom, dot-com crashed. I covered small business. They decided, you know, we were unionized, and it was apparently easier for them to get rid of an entire group. So they just completely killed the small business group in 2001, in July of 2001. I had just written a page one story about Clark Howard. And, and like, a week later, they said, I, you know, you're out of a job in 30 days. It's like, oh, okay. And so, at the so time what, I, what year was that? 2001. 2001, okay. Yeah, July 2001. I, uh, I you know, I applied to Bloomberg. They were interested but, you know, HAC, by coincidence, um, their radio reporter had, had just quit. And she recommended me um, to, uh, to take over. And they had an opening. And they gave me this. You know, there were so many feature reporters. There were dozens of feature reporters. We had two fashion reporters. We had, you know, consumer reporter, a whole health team. Um, we had, yeah, uh, you know, a, a gardening reporter, home and garden reporter. I, this was did, back in the day when we... Danny Flanders, right? That's Danny right. Flanders, yeah. yeah. He, he was and, the man. Know, had, it was such a it was a, it was a nice time when you had like five music reporters, two we had two movie reviewers, as well as a movie writer. You know, <laughs> uh, we had a classical music reviewer and, and a fine arts music reviewer, and yeah, yeah. This was when we were fat and happy. Um, so and so we fast. Forward. I had this weird. <laughs> Yeah, I had this really weird beat because they, they, you know, they had so many reporters. They just gave me radio, nightlife, and youth culture because there was some thought in the early 2000s that a newspaper could still draw a young audience or try and convey a young audience. I had to sort of come up with youth culture type stories. Uh, I, I remember doing one on parkour, and I think I did one on like LAN video games. You know, people who would get meet up together and play video games together. Right, right. That, that, yeah. that was my attempt at covering the youth culture portion. Of my well, you, you were you were ahead of the you're ahead of the curve because video games are now like huge. Well, I wasn't. It was 2001, and video games were pretty well established by then. <laughs> I mean, but, but the the I mean the online gaming part of it. Yeah, it was a little yeah. early for that. Yeah, yeah. I had so, fun with parkour. I remember hanging out with some parkour kids like downtown, and they were they were doing all sorts of fun stuff all over downtown. It was delightful. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I covered radio, which I was obsessed with. I love radio, and um, you know, I was always a radio geek. And um, yeah, by the way, uh, this is—I've just been talking my life here. If you, you want to throw a question in my way, feel free. No, this is this is this is a good. A, yeah, I like these to be kind of casual conversations. So, I, I yeah, you're talking about radio. So you are you are the only one in town who covers kind of the the business of radio. Uh, I'm know, probably, I, I can, yeah, there's not many people in the country left. There's a couple of um, trade publications that do it. Um, but I think at any regional newspaper, there's not a lot of radio coverage. And in fact, you know, even though I started doing a radio blog in 2004, uh, the percentage of time I spend writing about radio has dropped precipitously over time. It's probably, I probably spend less than 10% of my time writing about radio now. Yeah, it, it, and I, I kind of rely on you to keep track of all the, 
out of the moves moves in the in radio, you know, I, I do my Atlanta media blog, but probably half the time or more 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 often than not, when I'm talking about a a move or a change in radio, I'm linking to a Rodney Ho story. Yeah, nobody's covering it anymore, really. I mean, it's like I said, there's Lance Verda does does something. You know, there's a couple of folks that still cover radio, um, but not not many. It, it's a, it's a dying industry. I mean, that's the reality of it. So, so you so you got the the radio side. You got how about the TV side? How how is that? Oh, that's grown. I mean, I well, I, I didn't cover TV officially till 2005, but in 2002, in June of 2002. You know, the two radio TV reporters, they didn't want to be hassled with this new reality show, summer replacement show that Fox was doing called American Idol. And they threw a VHS tape at me of the first episode. And I was like, and there were some Atlanta people involved. They had come to Atlanta to try and I remember, I do remember that Fox was trying to get us to cover their auditions, but it was the middle of Music Midtown. And we said, nah, we don't care. So we didn't bother. Um, I think they were at America's Mart down the street, but yeah. they, didn't, you know, they didn't cover it. Uh, but, you know, I, and we know what happened with American Idol. I ended up becoming the American Idol guy. So for the next three years, I covered American Idol. It got bigger and bigger. You, and then when show, one of, Is that show going to last, do you think? I mean, you think well, it's it gotta... died once. I mean, Fox <laughs> dropped it. How many, then, how, many, how many years is that show on now? Is it 20? 19th season. Um, 19th. Skipped a year. You know, I think Fox dropped it in like 2015, and then um, ABC picked it up in 2017 or 2018. Something like that. But, it's, but that show has certainly been the impetus for – a million imitators, you know, from America's. Well, in many ways, you can argue that the voice, yeah, the voice kind of superseded American Idol, beat it in the ratings, and then eventually caused Fox to say, "Yeah, we're done." Yeah, um, but ABC picked it up, and they keep it going. It's not, you know, it's, it's just another TV show now. American Idol is no longer a pop culture phenomenon. Nobody outside of the, you know, it's not discussed on morning radio. It's not discussed in the broad social media world as a big deal. I mean, I think the most recent time they had any controversy was when they hired, when they brought in uh, Claudia Conway, uh, Kellyanne Conway's daughter, uh, George Conway, their daughter, and they played yeah. that up. They had her audition, they brought her to Hollywood. So they had a little controversy there, but it seemed very deliberate that they, you know, she wasn't that good. Like, I don't know why they brought her to Hollywood. She wasn't that good, but... Well, did, you, did mom come too? Yes, she was there. Yeah, and yeah. I think this past Sunday's episode, she tried to sing herself, a uh, little girl on fire, <laughs> and it was not good. So, and she was eliminated. Claudia, Claudia's gone. She, she, got, she didn't last very long in Hollywood. So, there you go. That, that's what, the most recent interesting thing that happened in Idol. <laughs> so what's the what's – the, the, but you're covering the, some of the movie industry here. In, in, oh, yeah, that's been fascinating. Uh, you know, I started covering TV in 2005, and back then it was still very much the broadcast networks and cable. Um, in 2008, uh, you know, you know, the, the, you know, over the decades since Burt Reynolds came along in the 70s, Georgia's tried to become a movie, you know, a place for um, producers and production companies to come and do movies, and occasionally they come. But when Canada and some other states started doing tax credits, uh, it just, you know, in the early 2000s, it kind of like died. I mean, nothing was happening here. Uh, so they started adding some credits in 2004, and we got a couple of things here and there. Um, but in 2008, that's when they decided we're going to go big, and they, they offered a 30% tax credit, right. for, which is huge. I and mean, that means a $100 million movie, the production company gets $30 million in tax credits they can sell uh, to somebody who needs some taxes. But the it, tax it, it's it's the, uh, the open market of uh, tax credits that no one, no one except people. Monstrous. Yeah, understand. I mean, yeah. we're talking right. a huge amount of taxes going into the pockets of Sony and but they, uh, you know, in the beginning, 
Yeah, so I've been covering that since the beginning. And, you know, we had uh, Jen Brett was covering a lot of film side for a long time until she became an editor. So I've been covering the film side as well. And, and it's now even post-pandemic, the amount of production in the state has just been nuts. It's been crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, we, we have our Georgia Entertainment PR group that focuses on that. Yeah, side. yeah, and, DeKal- and yeah, you do some stuff with DeKalb County, right? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we... We have we've worked with Cab for years and uh, a couple other clients, and yeah, I was just, you know how big it's gotten. It's, it's right, 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 and you know we've we've had some clients who kind of took part of last year off because the industry craft, but it it really seems to be back. Oh, it's with it, a well, vengeance it has to be right because now. you know the demand for content is insane. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely you know with all these streaming services that came up in the past just year year and a half, HBO Max, Peacock, Paramount Plus. I mean all these they're all pumping out content at the moment. They need more content. And um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of productions got delayed due to the four or five months of nothingness. Uh, so I think, you know, every studio is backlogged now. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Crazy. I mean, I, I'm hearing that most of the sound stages are, are pretty well booked. I mean, oh, yeah, nobody can get a sound yeah. stage right now in the right. next 18 months. Right. So they're, those, those are fairly booked. Uh, you know, I just got off the phone with a, Independent producer who's shooting in Florida, who may may shoot a little bit in in Georgia, but you know he was looking for some marketing. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's great, it's great to see that, and and not only for the you know the the actors and the studios who are making money, but for all of the thousands and thousands of Georgians members. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've built it up here. I mean, a lot of states try to do tax credits like North Carolina and Louisiana, but they can never build up the infrastructure. To really turn, you know, Louisiana still does okay, but you know, North Carolina was a good example where they weren't getting much return on investment. Uh, but here, so many people built up a lot of, yeah. I mean, just, just look at what um, you know, the folks at Marvel came over and, and, and um, you know, over at Trillis. Is that what is that what it's called now? Tr- uh, Tr- Trillis. Yeah, Trillis. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and look at what what uh, Ryan's real Sap's doing down at Black oh, Hall. Oh, Black I mean, Hall Studios. I, I mean, that's that's going to be. Yeah, I think he's. Right now, he's talking about doubling the size within, I think, three years. Oh, yeah. Take oh, it's going to be – yeah, yeah, it's going to be crazy. So we've had and, so many sounds. We've got like 100, at least more than 100 sound stages in the state of Georgia, most of them in Metro Atlanta. Uh, yeah. We are one of the biggest next, uh, in, the, in, the, in the entire world at this point. I mean, we, we compete now with Toronto, L.A., New York, and London. I think that's – we're kind of in the top five now, essentially. Yeah, I mean, we were. It depends how you count the numbers. Sometimes we're top yeah. ten, sometimes we're number one. I mean, Black yeah, it depends Hall, on what you're measuring. That's right. True. Yeah. I mean, Black Hall's building out facilities in in the UK, yeah. so they'll they'll have that side of it too. If he's looking in New York too. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, Canada's doing very well as well. I mean, obviously with the pandemic, Canada didn't get hit as hard, so they, they were able to start back up very quickly. New York and LA were a little slower in picking up the pace, so I think that's why Georgia was able to get. Some productions they otherwise probably wouldn't have gotten. Well, I remember in the '90s, Vancouver was was the That's hot place good. to shoot. Yeah, I mean, yes, it still is. I mean, all the all the X Files stuff was was yeah, shot up there in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, no, we're we're in uh, Atlanta. Yeah, they shoot a lot of Christmas movies up there. Lots of those Hallmark <laughs> movies makes sense. You know, you don't want to shoot. You know, we do shoot some Christmas movies here, but there's always a challenge because this ain't. The, the yeah. lack of – yeah, I remember wandering through Stone Mountain one day a couple of years ago, and they were shooting a Sleepy Hollow scene, and there was fake snow, all, fake snow all over the ground. And, was like, it was, and it was, you know, 
summer or something like that. Yeah, it's got to be tough sometimes to try and pretend it's really cold when it's 83 degrees. <laughs> yeah, right. That's acting. That's real acting for that's you. That's right. That's right. All right, so so here's this is the hardest question. So what is what's something cool and fun about Rodney that people might not know? And that could be a you know a something you collect or a a hobby or something you've started I don't know. I guess I'm obsessed with karaoke. I'm not a great singer, but I, I, I try to make up for my lack of of skills with enthusiasm. So, but I, I like to do the you know uh, karaoke rooms. You could rent out rooms in these um, you know not not COVID friendly now, but pre COVID it was very fun to just rent out a room and just you could spend you know and if this is two or three of you, you can pretty much just hog the hog the mic the whole night. All right, so so I may have a theme flowing here because last week I talked to Dana Fowl over at Fox Five, and she she's now playing the ukulele in addition to consumer reporting. So I think maybe we got a band coming together here. Uh, I don't know. We got we got Rodney on vocals, Dana on the ukulele. I could do the harmonica a little bit. I need a drummer. You got? I'm such a dork. Um, I you know in karaoke if I rent a room and like David Bowie just died. I remember I'm going to sing all David Bowie songs. That was kind of my dorky thing or I would literally take a top 40 chart from some random week in the 80s and I'll try and sing as many songs off that chart as I could or I'll just take a word <laughs> and I'll just take that word and try and sing every song I could think of with that word in it. Yeah, that's how dorky I am in my karaoke world. So that's, that is a sad but true fact. Alright, so now we're going to do the, the fun lightning round. So Alright, all right, so last book read. I am literally reading right now. This is appropriate. The way we all became the Brady Bunch. So ah, that's awesome. a, a book just about how the enduring power of the Brady Bunch. That's what I'm reading right this moment. All right. Favorite Atlanta restaurant? Favorite restaurant? I should know that off the top of my head, shouldn't I? I mean, or I what's, your, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite? I, mean, I go to this, you know, Jessica is like this Chinese um, supermarket down the road. And I just go to like the food court, and I, I, I this, they have this great beef noodle soup that I, I'm obsessed with. So I just go there whenever I, I have a hankering for beef noodle soup. I just go to. I don't even remember the name of you know. You probably use food courts. You never, never remember the names of these random <laughs> places. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's that uh, that sushi place or yeah, or right the, off Reynolds Boulevard here. So right off 85 Reynolds Boulevard. So. All right, favorite local local getaway. What's a fun place you like to go? Yeah, you know, like I, I love Stone Mountain. Um, okay. I love Simpsonwood actually. Simpsonwood Park because I like I like to take long walks. You know, just stick in my earphones, listen to a podcast or, or music, and just walk around Simpsonwood, which is used to be a Methodist. The Methodist Church used to own this property, but it became a a park. You know, it, it's like 210 acres of just mostly just forest and, and trails. Uh, and where's that's Chattahoochee? You get in uh, Petrie Corners. Okay, um, Simpsonwood. Okay, but it's a Gwinnett County Park officially now. It, like it, they almost sold it. Like Methodist Church was losing money. It, it, it was a resort center. There was a conference center there, and they were losing money. And they almost sold it to developers. And of course, people in each corners went nuts because they want to keep that place yeah. pure. And, and fortunately, convinced you know. Um, Corners and Gwinnett County to combine and buy the place. Now it's like a park. It's just a lovely just place to just walk around. All right, and the last question: favorite guilty pleasure? What does that even mean? Like uh, I, I, I will sometimes <laughs> treat myself to a, a Chick Fil A, one of their. Oh, oh I mean, mine cream. is probably natural. It's, it's probably you know I'm a Starbucks nut. Uh, I, I, 
I, I, you know, they recently send a note saying, you, you have gained 2,669 bonus star points. You know, they have a little reward system. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's embarrassing. That's about, like, about $10,000 $10, in coffee, right? Like, it's ridiculous how much money I spent. <laughs> um, but, you know, during the pandemic, it's like you're stuck at home. It's like it's my one moment of zen is to just drive up and have a, a five-second conversation with the barista while I'm going through the drive-thru, picking up my nitro cold brew with sweet cream. That's my thing. I love my nitro cold brew. Uh, is Starbucks your place of choice? I sometimes go to Dunkin' Donuts. They, they, okay. they, I'm also part of their rewards program, so they throw me uh, some extra star points. I'm, I, I am uh, willing to go over there for some. I like their coffee as well. I, I like uh, like iced chai tea, like the cold chai tea kind of thing that you get at a lot of places. Oh, so you're you're going for a tea? You're on the tea side of things. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a coffee drinker, but but I realize I can go to you know the coffee places and, and pay like five or six bucks, or I can go to Kroger and get like the little container. And a thing of milk for like three bucks, and have like six of them. Yeah, no, it's my completely stupid expenditure. It makes no financial sense whatsoever. Clark Howard would bop me on the head over and over again. But it uh, makes you. But it makes you feel. It makes you feel good. It's sad. my daily. Like I got to get out of the apartment. I'm going to go pick up some nitro cold brew. Yeah, it's, it's sad, but that that's how our social lives have have shrunken in the COVID era, right? It's, it's like. You know, like there's, a trip through the drive-through is a big deal. <laughs> there's there's worse habits and addictions to have, so I, I'm I'm glad that one is a, a relatively safe one. Yeah, you're right. It's not a highly shameful unless you are like one of those owners of a small coffee shop, like an independent coffee shop, and you hate Starbucks for that very reason. Yeah, so yeah. If, if you're like the owner of Dancing Goats, you'd like Rodney Ho's the worst person on earth. He goes to Starbucks all the time. <laughs> Excellent. Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about about? Your work at the AJC, which which you like to write about, that uh, that we should mention. I have to be grateful because I mean, Cox has you know Cox Enterprises owns us. They've been treated us very well during the pandemic. Um, I they, they they let me do what I like to do. I, I really have no complaints from this perspective compared to what a lot of other reporters have to go through, owned by other companies. You know, we are very very lucky, and I feel you know I just have to feel gratitude. Every single day. Thank you, bosses, for keeping me employed. Well, <laughs> okay, great. We've been talking with Rodney Ho with the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Thank you, Rodney. Appreciate your taking time. And hey, uh, thank you, Mitch. Yeah, we've known Mitch and I have known each other for a long time. So I appreciate you uh, bugging me here. And <laughs> yeah, not not at all, not at all. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. So everybody, join us next week for another edition of our Four Questions Journalist Spotlight. <laughs>